Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. I can't believe it is summer already, although here in the UK it does feel slightly like we've had our summer. It was sunny <laughs> for a week uh, and then it started pouring down again. So I'm so glad I didn't invest a whole load of money in a comfy deck chair to work outside for the summer. Uh, Sai, you enjoying the, the rain? Uh, yeah, well, just similar to, as you said, yeah, I didn't invest anything in, in, in fancy deck chairs. Well, because we expected it'd be a summer, it'll be a washout, <laughs> as it always been. And funny enough, today, uh, I mean, well, we were expecting it to be sunny and bright, but there's no sign of the sun. So, hey, welcome to British weather. <laughs> so, yeah, that was the that's the weather, Alex. What have you been up to apart from that? That's the weather report, and then now <laughs> onto the news. <laughs> Uh, yeah, do you know what? The most interesting thing that has happened to me since uh, since we last caught up was um, was actually on Friday. So we're recording this on Monday. And on Friday, I went into the office with human <laughs> beings. Like we were all in a room together. It was It was both brilliant and utterly bizarre at the same time. I think you forget when we've been all so remote for so long, you kind of just get used to it. And you forget just how important those kind of face-to-face contacts can be even if it's yeah. just irregular uh so yeah so it was fantastic it was really great to catch up with other other rackers um yeah it was brilliant what about you yourself bet. you bet yeah no same here I, but i've been working remotely mostly so it's really interesting how quickly i've adapted myself to zoom and teams mm-hmm. um, with keyboard shortcuts i i didn't expect that i would be that good uh, but no, it's it's the speed of hitting mute when you when your kid comes screaming in. Uh, <laughs> I think I think the the skill is a, is a experienced learned skill. Yeah. Uh, yep, but no, sure. just talking about the work. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm so keen to go back in the office. But I think uh, my logical mind gets baffled on one concept. It's saying because uh, I was talking to my talking to a couple of my colleagues. Um, you got to wear your mask in, but when you sit down to eat, you don't have to. <laughs> Yes, so this is UK rules. As long as you're, even if you're sat like thirty centimeters away from each other, as long as you're sat at a table with no more than six of you, um, everybody else is safe. So yeah, exactly. Uh, so that that logic battle science. Me. I'm pretty sure that is science, definitely. <laughs> yeah, no, Alex. I think um, you've probably had a lot more discussions. I've been having loads of discussions with customers, and it's kind of apt to this episode and and to what we're talking about. With our with uh, with Mark, who I'm going to introduce in a, few, in a couple of minutes, but yeah, we we've, we've had discussions with customers coming to us and talking about uh, the explosion, I would say, of uh, of data analytics and explosion of data in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had loads of people come and ask us to enhance how to enhance their products, how to expand their applications, and to use predictive programming uh, to say a word. Um, and on that note, I think it's really apt here, and I need to introduce. We've got we've got our guest today, Mark Mark McQuaid. Uh, if you haven't, our returning guest. Thank you for our coming returning back guest. Again, Mark. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. If you haven't if you haven't heard our episode uh, of dealing with data that we did uh, a few episodes back, um, yeah, Mark was on the episode. He was talking about talking to us about data analytics and uh, big data side of things. Mark, welcome to the moving to the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Glad to be back. So, for those people who missed the uh, missed the earlier episode, Mark, do you want to give us a little bit of a bit about your background uh, and specifically how you ended up in the in this whole data AI ML space? 
Yeah, um, I mean, I guess my my uh, path to where I am today isn't uh, isn't considered traditional. I mean, um, you know, I spent 13 years or so in networking and telephony, right? Um, and well, I mean, you know, going back about you know four years, five years ago, um, I, I just said enough's enough. I got to get out of this uh, this industry. <laughs> um, I feel that the, uh, the 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 way it's going the way of the DVD in a way telephony and, uh, mm. and things like that. So, um, <laughs> you know, I spent you know many years in that space, and I, you know I, I made a decision one day to say I got to get out of this. I got to get uh, get into the big bad world of the cloud. It's the way of the future. Uh, so you know I kind of fully immersed myself in in AWS specifically. It was always more about AWS and less about the cloud. Uh, I kind of have a very strong bias towards AWS. That's just kind of where ah. I was born and raised, right? So. Um, that's your one true cloud, is it? <laughs> that's it. That's it. I mean, I get kind of defensive. Someone's like, "Yeah, you could do it better in Google. You could do it better in Azure." And I'm like, "Ah." But, um, yeah. So I mean, I kind of, you know, I, I I pushed myself completely into a a new industry, a, a new kind of career path in my early 30s, which was, you know, not really uh, what people tend to do at that age. Uh, but mm. I did that, and. Um, you know, I, I jumped into cloud computing, right? That's where I started. And uh, I was a solutions architect uh, for a while. And, you know, that was great. And, you know, as I was getting involved in, you know, more in AWS and solutions architecting, uh, you know, AI, AI, ML and data really just kind of pulled me in. That was really my passion, mm -hmm. um, you know, where, what I wanted to do and where I wanted to be. So, you know, when we were, we were Onica, right? Onica was acquired by Rackspace a year, a year or so ago now. Is it? Yeah, I guess. time yeah, flies, eh? Yeah. Um, so we, we were, you know, we were a, a couple hundred people at Onica. We started a, a data and data, data science and data engineering practice. Uh, and, you know, we were focused on all things data and all things AI ML, you know, and from within professional services, right? So we help clients with everything data related, everything AI ML related, right? Specifically focusing on the AWS ecosystem. And, you know, from there, it's kind of just, you know, gotten you know better and better right now I, I sit as the practice manager within our data science and engineering practice specifically I run the data engineering group um, which is focused on all things data really related uh, you know, helping clients in, in data lakes data ingestion pipelines um, you know data analytics data warehousing things like that um, but my my passion and, and you know my passion is still on the AI ML side Right. So uh, that's still where mm -hmm. I prefer to do. That's still where I kind of spend my my fun, my fun time, uh, you know, on uh, <laughs> AIML, NLP, computer vision, things like that. So, um, yeah, that, that's kind of where I am today. Brilliant. Thank you. Mark. I think one thing you highlight there for me was just when people talk about data, don't they? Like, oh, yeah, we should do a data thing. But that's that's a bit like going, oh yeah, we should do like an IT thing. It's just such a huge subject matter, and there's so many different areas that you can focus your time and energies on. And customers that we work with, they could be at any point in that journey, where you know, all the way from relatively an immature stage where they're just trying to work out what they have and identify it before they can work out how they get value from it, all the way through to doing incredibly intelligent things and helping to drive business outcomes off the back of it. Um, so. I, I'm going to ask a really dumb question, right? So, because I'm always the one on the show who doesn't mind asking the dumb questions. Size <laughs> um, <laughs> so way better at this stuff than me. <laughs> um, so, so, when it comes to artificial intelligence, AI, the AI and AIML, when I hear that, I think like, you know, 
Skynet, Boston Dynamics, Dancing Robots, which, by the way, I totally am going to share a link in the show notes after this. Amazing. But what what does AI mean to you? What does the whole AI ML thing mean for the, for those of us who are a bit more of lay people? No, that's um, it's funny that you ask that. Specifically on my podcast, I have a question that I ask every guest, and it is, what does AI mean to you? And I say it from a philosophical standpoint as opposed to a definition, right? Um but it's funny that you said that. What does AI mean to you? Because no one's ever actually asked me it. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, amazing. Yeah, I mean, in its literal, in its literal form, right? AI, uh, you know, AI ML is kind of a buzzword in the sense, right? Um, they're kind of used interchangeably. I use them interchangeably. I know they shouldn't be. I do that more for just kind of common, you know, people out there who want to know more about AI ML and things like that. But um, you know, machine learning is a subset of artificial intelligence right um and deep learning is even a subset of that right uh but i mean really it's just about computers doing something you know making predictions uh you know doing something without being explicitly programmed to do so right so using data right past data historical data right maybe new data and you know doing something that they're not explicitly programmed to do so and that's you know kind of what it is from a, a definition standpoint um you know, what does AI mean to me philosophically? That's a, that, I always say that it's 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 the possibilities of it all, right? It's uh, being able to do something that you could have never imagined doing, you know, twenty years ago, right? I think that's uh, that's what it is to me. It's the possibilities, and I think that is what it is for a lot of people, right? I mean, anyone that's not you know in the AI space or very familiar with machine learning or anything like that, I mean, maybe they think it's about you know robots or you know, things like that. But I think, you know, I, I think Steven that Spielberg. mainly I think what does jump out to everyone is, okay, you know, AI means, you know, the possibilities of it all, of things that you could do, right? That you never thought you could do before. It's amazing. It's amazing to think about it that way. Because when you, when you actually break it down at that layer, it almost sounds so simple and, mm. and, and so small and it's, it's perfect. But then actually, it's it's kind of like one of those uh, one of those magic boxes that as you open, you get different color streamers coming out of it constantly. Um, so the concepts are unlimited, right? I mean, what are the practical uses are unlimited. I mean, when you think about that, it's it's so massive, it's so wide. So how would you how do you sort of think about the uses of AI or, or ML for that sake? How do you sort of categorize them? Uh, well, I mean, it's tough to categorize. I mean, there's there's different domains from within machine learning and deep learning, right? You have natural language processing, which is you know the uh, the ability to take you know language or text data and perform some kind of uh, you know natural language analysis on it. Um, there's computer vision, which is taking images, right, and performing you know some uh, machine learning, deep learning on those images that could be object detection or segmentation, things like that. Um, or there's your kind of standard machine learning things, right? Which is, you know, kind of classification, uh, which could be, you know, some things like, you know, one of the most common things that people, all companies should be using in the real world, I think, for, from a machine learning standpoint, is like a, a an email spam, right? Spam or not spam, right? That's kind of your mo what everyone probably is using in some form, right? We're using it in Outlook, uh, you know, everyone's using that in some form or fashion, as well as, you know, one thing that I know we are using internally, um, and of course, a lot of people should be is churn prediction, right? Right. Who's going to leave, you know, why they're leaving, things like that. That's kind of, you know, the real world, real, real life use case that you would see mostly out there being used. Um, but there's a ton, you know, there's a ton of different ways you can use, you know, machine learning in the real world. Like, as I said, it depends on what level you're at. Right. And I mean, 
you know, kind of what you mentioned there, Alex, is there's so many people that, you know, they hear machine learning and they want to get into it, but they're just not there yet, right? They're just, they're, they're just dipping their toe into the data game. Um, yep. So they're not ready to, you know, gather in, you know, so much data in, in text, let's say, and perform sentiment analysis or something like that, right? They're just not there yet. But um, mm -hmm. I would probably argue that you should be looking, using or looking at using in the very near future, some form of AI ML in your business today, regardless of what your business is. That's brilliant. I mean, it just goes to show that it's almost a bit of a chicken and egg, isn't it? You, until you start dipping your toe in the water with these things, you don't know what the possibilities are. And then even even once you do start down that route, you know, use your example of churn, churn mitigation for uh, organizations. Like until you dig into the data, you may actually have insights you think you know, but then there may be a whole load of other things that suddenly start popping out uh, once the once the machine learning algorithms have built themselves on top of this data. Um, can you give us an example of any of the kinds of things that we've been doing with customers recently so that we can look at some of those practical applications? Yeah, I mean, one of the things we, we do a lot now, and I, again, this is something that I think that every business could benefit from in, in some form, is chatbots, right? Uh, conversational mm. bots. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, um, if you look at it, you know, from a, a customer service perspective, right, maybe a call center. Um, every call center should be utilizing a chatbot in some form or fashion, right? It, it just takes away that the manual overhead, right? You have a chatbot answer, take in some initial information from the person, from the caller, and then, you know, triage that accordingly, right? Why would any call center not use that, right? Uh, and they're, you know, but what we've, uh, we've done a lot of chatbots recently because as they are, they're kind of growing and growing. Uh, you know, one of the ones that really jumps out at me is, um, you know, for retirement homes, right? Long-term care homes. Um, we set mm -hmm. up uh, chatbots to uh, for the for the residents to turn up and down the TVs, right? Like to, to for their set-top boxes on their TVs, right? So the residents can say, you know, volume up, volume down, channel up, channel down, turn off, as opposed to having to use the remote or get up and actually touch the TV, right? So there's a really you know good use of a chatbot in the real world. Um, another one was that we built recently was uh, a chatbot for drive-throughs, right? Fast food. So, you know, instead of, you know, ordering with a, a human order taker through a drive-through for fast food, you order through a bot, right? So you say, you know, I want, you know, one cheeseburger, you know, one fries, one Coke or one combo, whatever that may be. You know, you go back and forth with the bot and then you drive up and you get your food, right? So um, that's another kind of use, uh, I think, great use case for, for a chatbot in the real world. Um, but yeah, as I said, I think the biggest one is contact centers, call centers. I think every call center and contact center should be utilizing a chatbot in some form or fashion. So it's the key thing here, though, from what you've just described to me, is it's not actually just about the artificial intelligence in terms of analyzing and understanding, you know, like the when looking at the natural language processing, for example, but it's actually then also it's it's the voice element of it, isn't it? Because when I think chatbot, I think I've just gone to a particular website and I get that pop-up that goes, hey, I'm Dave, or hey, I'm Jenny. How can I help you? And I know at the back end of that, that's probably going to be a bot. But your point here is when you then start to combine it with other technologies, it becomes much more natural to interact with it rather than through this, you know, kind of faux interface of a, of a, of a chat window. Yeah, absolutely. And I think voice is, is just taking off, right? Um, I mean, that is kind of the next frontier of communication is is voice, right? I mean, everyone's probably using an Alexa or a Google Home in some form or fashion, uh, something like that, some kind of voice enabled device. 
you know, typing via chat is great. And as you said, you know, when you hit a website, you can type to a chat bot or whatever um and that's kind of that piece of it but voice i think is is that next piece where uh, you know it's just coming across that it's uh, much more uh, readily available right voice much more easily accessible so um i think that's kind of the way of the way the world's going is everything voice control voice enabled so um yeah i mean yeah traditionally trap bots are looked at as in typing but no that's not the case at all and that's the first thing you have to look at is alexa absolutely i mean considering that Probably, uh, Alex, was that was that fifty percent of our uh, listeners now listen on on devices? They do, and actually, interestingly, the device that uh, Mark mentioned a couple of times there, it'd be interesting to see uh, if there's any reactions to it in anybody's houses. It'd be quite fun because, um, yeah, I, I we literally have seen over the past twelve months a swing of of our listeners um, going from traditional mobile devices where probably listening to us in the car. And now you're probably, you know, cooking your dinner at the moment, um, or or maybe maybe you're letting us bore your children to death whilst <laughs> whilst you're doing something else. Uh, but yeah, we've definitely seen a swing towards that, and that that's actually an interesting one for me because, um, that 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 processing and that um, you know that language processing mm-hmm. functionality within that device is all done centrally, isn't it? Like effectively, it's taking recordings of your voice, sending it up to the cloud. The cloud then analyzes it translates it into uh, and understands what you've said and then and then reacts to it, which is why you get that little tiny pause. But what we're also starting to see is more edge use cases, I think, for uh, for machine learning, natural language processing, et cetera. So I'll give you a really simple example for me. Um, we, had, um, we had somebody who lives nearby me just up the road. They had the car stolen just recently. And so um, I'd been meaning to for a while. So I've just been recently putting in a camera system at home. And I've actually got a uh, like a system which uh, I didn't want to have, you know, all my footage sent up to the cloud uh, or permanently streaming. So I went for a system which actually has ML built into the cameras itself. So it can do things like recognize vehicles, like recognize human beings, uh, et cetera, without having to then share that data. So for me, that's one simple use case, but we're seeing more and more from that in customers. What do you think on that front, Mark? Yeah, I mean, Edge ML, you know, kind of that's kind of one of the most talked about, you know, advancements in in kind of ML right now. I think um, it's you know the rise of IoT, right? Uh, you know, Internet of Things, mm-hmm. right? That kind of came about a few years back. Everything's a smart connected device, right? And it's all you know connected to the cloud in some form or fashion. Um, but you know, when you're as you said, when you're processing. Um, when you're performing some machine learning processing uh, on the edge, or sorry, not on the edge, and you're sending it back to the cloud, right? Then it, that involves you know more time for for compute processing, um, as you said, security purposes, right? Some people don't want to send their data to the cloud. Um, I think that may be a, maybe a thing of the past, mind you, but yes. <laughs> I I'm, just, I'm just concerned that the the organization wouldn't necessarily put the same level of security in place that I would to protect those videos, as opposed to uh, you know the security of the cloud. We might thought that. Yeah, no, and, and and exactly, and there's there's many reasons why people want to be able to, and I mean for for real time processing as well, right? Um, you know, you're not, uh, you know, you're not doing any real time processing if you're taking, you know, your data, whether that's a, you know, a video stream, right, uh, and you're sending it back to the cloud for processing and then sending the results back to the camera, yeah. right? Um, so real time is, of course, it's going to be faster. It's going to be less, less, uh, you know, resources on sending the data back and forth, things like that. So 
absolutely uh, edge ml is kind of the one of the bigger pieces uh, of kind of the frontier of machine learning now and there's just so many benefits of it that that come about uh, it's still not that you know prevalent out there though i think i, I want to say and i mean maybe maybe i'll get called out on this i want to say for example like deep lens amazon deep lens is their kind of camera right um yeah it's the, their, their their little camera i think it's mainly it, it, it's mainly used for testing and purposes and and kind of things like that it's not really meant for to shove a deep lens in like a you know a, a, a situation where you're going to record things in production or right? I, I don't believe it is but um I don't think you can run on the edge on, on the deep lens. I, I, I still think they send it back to, to AWS for the process mm-hmm. and send it back. So um, I think there is kind of that race towards, uh, you know, edge ML and, you know, who can kind of take on over that kind of domain space. So, yeah, absolutely. A really big, uh, a really big piece of machine learning these days is, is that edge ML. Well, ultimately as well, you, a lot of the data that's being recorded at the edge is irrelevant, isn't it? Like, do I really need, you know, using my simple camera example, do I need, you know, 23 and a half hours of like just my car sat in the front driveway to be processed? No, I don't. No, no. What I want is the 30 minutes where, you know, the robber and his mates came running in, you know, took all the stuff out of my house and legged it again. Well, hopefully that wouldn't happen. But, um, <laughs> you know, that, and that, but that's the point, isn't it? We've already, our, our data volumes are exploding. So if you can pre-process at the edge and only keep the, the data points you need or want, that's going to be far more valuable and more cost effective in the long run. Yeah. I mean, on that point, Alex, there was a very interesting concept that we were talking to a, uh, a law enforcement customers. Um, one of the oh, discussions yeah. they had was, yeah, a lot of people have these cameras in their doors and oh, yeah, all you record most of the time, 90% of the time is, is the cars passing by. Yeah. Uh, but then if there was a way to recognize, uh, I mean, you can do it rudimentarily based on time and date, but if there was a way to recognize what cars passing through, a, a law enforcement agency could use that as a tra- tracking mechanism to find out when there's a crime. So Ooh, they, could, they could like AMPR, but attached to yeah. everybody's ring doorbells or something along those lines. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just, uh, at the moment oh. they, could, they can do it by time or date. I, I know that they can contact you and ask them, ask you if you got you got a camera, can you please give us the footage yeah. for this date and this time? But then imagine that ML processing at the edge to to receive those information yeah now we're going into too much sci-fi uh, <laughs> possibly on the edge <laughs> <laughs> no just talking about that mark i think a really interesting concept that we were talking about before the recording uh that i think our listeners would really uh be be happy to hear um we you were talking something about a COVID project that we did uh using for building a data set can you can you tell us more about that yeah, so um, it was actually uh, it was a great project recently that we did. Well, I guess kind of more around um, I'd say June 2020, uh, and it was for UC Irvine in the US, right? So it was the the school UC Irvine, and we had partnered with them, uh, and we'd partnered with a, a couple other local uh, California local uh, companies to do some forecasting. Right, time series forecasting on COVID. Um, specifically, what we did was we did uh, forecasting for uh, hospitalizations and deaths in New York State at the time. Um, and if anyone knows, Mine. the IHME in the U.S. is kind of one of the best, biggest models, uh, COVID modeling uh, in the U.S. That's kind of you know it's something that is always looked at. You know, what is the IHME mm-hmm. modeling? What how are they modeling uh. this? How are they modeling that? So 
at the time that was that was the biggest uh, at the time uh, modeling and what we did is we used uh, obviously a bunch of data right uh, specifically uh, you know a whole bunch of data sources that were freely available on the internet right uh, whether that's mobility data or you know range data anything like that we just grabbed a whole bunch of data you know we kind of filtered out accordingly to what would give us the best results um, and then we used amazon forecast which is a time series forecasting service from within aws um, and we were able to predict hospitalizations and deaths in new york state um, you know, for specific windows, right? Let's say two week windows. And we outperformed the IHME um, modeling at that time, right? So that was extremely, uh, that was extremely exciting for us to do, right? So not only are we doing something that, you know, we're, 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 we're outpointing the, um, the, the top modeling in the US at the time, but we're also, uh, you know, we're, we're doing it for the good, right? It's something that you're doing, you're helping out, you know, whether, you know, whether that's, is a small piece, but you're helping out, you know, in the pandemic and somewhat, right? You're using the kind of the, the technology and your resources, your skills to, to, you know, do something for the better, right? Kind of for the good. Um, so that was exciting. We got, we got published for that. AWS published us for that, for that uh, project outcome. Um, yeah, and it was really big. It was really big for the Onica name uh, at the time. Uh, and that's something I still look back on. One of the most exciting, I was personally involved in that project. So kind of, you know, I don't tend to work on projects too much anymore, right? Um, I run a very large group now. So uh, this was one of my last projects that I was actually involved in. So it was really exciting for me to go back and, and, and kind of look back on how we did that. I think that the, democratize, the democratization of data there is, is something I think is really key. Um, the, the insights that you can gain from that and the people that we can help with that information is really you know, whether it be to, I mean, sometimes the things might feed people's fears and sometimes it will allay people's fears. I'll give you a really simple example. The, the Tableau, uh, who's um, an organization, for those of you who haven't uh, heard of them before, but they, they provide software that allows you to work in the data space. Um, but we have, uh, in, in, my my mum's my from the West Coast of Scotland or lives in the West Coast of Scotland, and she was concerned about the, the local COVID rate spiking. And my brother was able to go to the Scottish government website, this Tableau page, and show her the data that showed actually, no, you don't have to worry. Look, it's, you know, that somebody's misunderstood that statistic or whatever. And I think the ability to not only for us as businesses or organizations to get insights from data, but also to be able to share that with the wider world and for people to take advantage of that information is just fantastic. I think it's something that, um, you know, we're probably going to see more and more of. People almost people become their own data scientists at home, even if they're uh, you know <laughs> ladies yeah. in their seventies, uh, you know, so forth. Interpret interpret your own data, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and I think that um, here specifically, I'm in Canada, right? Uh, I'm in Toronto area. Um, mm -hmm. I think being a data guy, you always should follow the data, right? Especially in times of COVID. That's that's my personal opinion, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't think we do that too often out here. So I think that, um, as you said, you know, being able to go to a dashboard and look at, you know, some trends or visualizations, I think that's always mm -hmm. key. Um, and it always, you know, tampers down the fear that may be spread at times by certain yep. things like the media. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. So I think we're starting to come up on time now for our episode. Uh, although it depends on how long people are taking to cook their dinner, I suppose. Now we don't have to worry so much about the commute length. However, uh, I did have one last question. What would you say, you know, somebody who's wanting to start taking their first tentative steps in this space, um, what would you recommend to them? And again, 
you, you, you know, Alex, you've got me there. I ask, I ask all my guests as well on my podcast, what number one piece of advice for anyone breaking into the career, <laughs> breaking into the field. So, um, but yeah, no one, no one ever asked me. So, uh, this is great. So I mean, quite I cathartic say, episode. Yeah, yeah, it? <laughs> yeah. uh, so, I mean, kind of the, the best piece of advice I can get for, give for someone is, is, you know, dive in to, uh, you know, what, excites you right what makes you curious right dive right in i mean the reason i say that and that might seem vague is because it's kind of daunting right aiml you know data data science it's intimidating it can be daunting it can scare people oh you got to know math right you got to you got to know this you got to know that um but i would say that that's not always the case i'm not a traditionally trained data science in the, in the, in the slightest right um i i just really enjoy you know, kind of that domain. Uh, and, and I've spent my own time going in and, and learning what I need to learn and, and learning what think about things that excite me. Um, I, I don't have any formal schooling in regards to it. So, I mean, I would say don't get intimidated, uh, you know, just go, you know, kind of gravitate to what excites you the most and, uh, you know, dive in. Brilliant. Thank you. I think uh, it's certainly a space that many of our rackers have been really interested in. We're, we've seen uh, one of the more fun ways, I suppose, to, to get engaged is Amazon's Deep Racer project. Mm -hmm. So for those, those who haven't heard of that before, uh, very briefly, it's, uh, it's the ability to create a, a model which allows a, a small uh, race car to, to go around a racetrack. Um, and then there's, uh, you know, Amazon are running competitions in it and so forth so people can compete or you can just do it for fun just to use it as a learning model. Um, and yeah, so we've got quite a few rackers working on that at the moment. In fact, funnily enough, uh, I think we might mug one of the one of the chaps in our team, uh, Clive, we'll get him on an episode later on to talk about Deep Racer and what we're doing there because I think that'd be quite interesting. Um, fantastic. Thank you very much, Mark. Wow, that was amazing information. I mean, uh, Mark, thank you so much for, for joining us today. The, the details that you shared, the discussions we've had are, I mean, amazing. Uh, unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Uh, oh. I know, I know, sad. But then again, if, if you think, if you think uh, our listeners, this is a question to you. If you think that you, 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 you're not commuting so you can listen to more, let us know. Uh, contact us on, on, on Twitter or, or drop us a... Uh, drop us a message and and we'll we'll sort of uh, get back to you and we'll listen to what you have to say but i think as a closing to this episode well we can't we can't skip our uh, our our favorite part of the episode it is mark mark it's question back to you mm -hmm. uh what have you brought for us for us today as a book recommendation uh, yeah, good. A great book recommendation I gave you is, is it's actually it was released, I want to say a few months ago. It's called Data Science on AWS. Um, it's by Chris Fragley and um, I may pronounce this wrong, Antej Barth. Um, I believe they're both with AWS, uh, but it's a fantastic book. It's on the complete kind of end to end journey of data science uh, from within the AWS ecosystem. Right. So it takes you all the way from, you know, ingesting data in the cloud, you know, querying that data, you know, training a, a machine learning model, right? Optimizing the model, deploying it to production, right? Then it goes into kind of, you know, ML ops and, and kind of, you know, having that machine learning uh, operations pipeline and things like that. So absolutely fantastic book. It's on O'Reilly, uh, O'Reilly Media. And I would highly recommend Amazing. that to anyone who is interested in data science specifically from within the AWS ecosystem. Fantastic. 
brilliant. Thank you very much. And SageMaker, that's that, just for those people who hadn't really dealt with SageMaker before. What is SageMaker? Yeah, so this book actually is heavy focus on SageMaker. SageMaker is uh, AWS's end-to-end machine learning platform, right? So it allows you to build, train, deploy ML models all from within the uh, the SageMaker environment. Um, and it's actually a fantastic uh, service that AWS uh, has. They've had it for a few years now, but uh, they kind of sink a lot of energy into SageMaker. And actually, I'll mention one of the most, uh, most exciting and, and cool things about SageMaker right now has been, in my opinion, the kind of you know, integration and marriage between SageMaker and Hugging Face. If anyone doesn't know what Hugging Face is, look them up. Hugging Face is an absolutely fantastic NLP uh, company that you know provides uh, NLP models right uh, to anybody and everybody who wants them, and then you can you know fine tune them according to your data. Um, it really allows you to. You know, it demystifies and democratizes NLP, um, and at Hugging Face is kind of at the frontier of that, right? So uh, they have this integration that's been announced recently between Hugging Face and SageMaker. It allows you to train your Hugging Face models and fine tune them from within the SageMaker ecosystem, and that is kind of one of the most exciting pieces of of, of uh, NLP right now, in my opinion. So check that out for sure too. Yeah, definitely Hugging Face, not Face Hugger, right? Yeah, right. I was going to say, as a child of the of the eighties, that's uh, it certainly rang some bells for me. <laughs> Amazing. Well, if you've if you've enjoyed that, let us know. Uh, you could tweet us on at Spotting Clouds, or you could contact us on Rackspace.com/slash/cloudspotting. Uh, but yeah, let us know either ways. Think about let us know what you would like to listen and uh, send us your um, comments on this episode. And if you want to let Mark know about something that he's 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 given you information on that you didn't know, or if you just wanted to have a chat, yeah, contact us. And I, I'm I'm sure Mark will be happy to respond back to questions and comments that come from our listeners. Amazing. Well, thank you very much, and have a good day. Mm-hmm.